Hi everyone, it's Nigel here. Um, I'm re-recording this talk because I gave this talk on Sunday morning at Winchester Vineyard Church and unfortunately it didn't record properly. We had a technical problem with the, uh, the video. So I'm doing it again now. It's going to be on our YouTube site because it's an important part of our series on vineyard values. As you know, we've been talking about multiply um, throughout the year, what God wants to do, what he wants to multiply within us, what his plans are for us. And part of that for the last few weeks has been to talk about the vineyard and the wider vineyard movement, some of the story and some of the values that go with that. Um, many of us will know about that, but quite a few of us won't. We'll be new to the vineyard and, and uh, new to what we, uh, who we are and what we are here. And today's talk is really about worship. So I want to start by just reading this psalm, Psalm 96. It says this, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. At the start of this series, Paul talks about the vineyard man or the vineyard person, or apparently he's now called he or she, that person is now called Vineyard Vera, which is a name we nicked from um, Plymouth Vineyard. Anyway, the, the vineyard person that is just a diagram um, that's um, there to sort of show and maybe easily describe what the vineyard is all about and some of our key aspects and key elements of our church. And Paul went into that in detail a couple of weeks ago. Um, but the, the legs of the vineyard person are worship and compassion. And we talked about compassion a few weeks ago. Um, but I wanted to talk about worship today. And this talk follows on from my talk from last Sunday. That was called The Things We Say Around Here. And um, there were eight phrases, in fact, that we uh, talked about. And different phrases that are, I guess, part of the vineyard culture and part of the vineyard values that kind of describe um, and explain some of what the important things are to us. And you're going to hear some of those phrases again in this talk because we're following on from things we say around here to a talk about worship, which is called why we worship like we do. Now, you're probably aware of this already, but worshiping God is core to who we are. It's very much part of our gatherings. The term worship has a number of meanings um, and can be used in a number of different contexts. Obviously, worship is a lifestyle which affects our choices 24-7. The way to, that we choose to connect with God, the way that we live our lives, they're all worship in the way that, you know, and Paul describes in Romans chapter 12 when he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is your act of worship. In many ways, all of our lives are worship. Um, worship is also a word that can be used to describe the time when we gather together on a Sunday for fellowship or for prayer. Um, Bible teaching or ministry, corporate singing, we'd often call our service a service of worship. But the word worship also, perhaps most often, describes a specific time in our services where we sing together, where we engage with uh, God and we engage with him through music. And that's the definition that I kind of want to focus on today. And of course, musical worship, some worship is not the only way to connect with God, but it is a brilliant tool for corporate worship because music easily unites us around the words and the melody in the same way as it might for a football or a pop concert. Music unlocks emotion in a way that 
but spoken words often don't. And God's people are instructed to sing together, actually to sing a new song of praise. And so, you know, there are many traditions of church music going back hundreds of years. You might be aware of, you know, a famous um, choral piece of music, classical piece of music, like, for example, The Messiah by the composer Handel. Um, Often composers like Handel and many since would set um, words from the Bible to music. um, And that would be kind of uh, sung and celebrated as, uh, as worship music. Um, There were also celebrated hymn writers like Charles Wesley back in the 1700s who, um, and what they were doing was they had a largely illiterate culture. And so what they would do is in order to teach theology to people, they would take a pub tune of the day, a common tune, a tune that was well known, perhaps a folk music, a folk tune, and they would write new verses for it. And they would set theology and biblical words and biblical truths to this. And these are the hymns some of them have survived and we call them the great hymns of the church but they were actually just um, words theological words uh, words about God set to popular music of the day and then the Jesus movement that we've mentioned in the last week or two also encouraged folk and rock bands to write worship songs in order to relate to the culture that they were reaching which was a hippie culture starting in Southern California but progressing around the world from the late 60s and early 70s and within Vineyard we have our own story of worship if you like we have our own tradition of worship Um, and often when God is moving um, and stuff is happening often new songs are written and new forms of worship engage you know the 1980s was a a key time for the Vineyard movement it's when we kind of really got going Um, and God seemed to be using the music that was emerging from our movement to influence believers and churches right around the world For many reasons, it's not the same now and new music styles continue to develop and emerge, which is the right thing and the appropriate thing. But as a Vineyard family, we do have a story. And even more importantly, we have a set of values that comes out of that story that are still really important for us today. And they form the basis of why we choose to worship together the way we do. Um, You know, my own story within this was that I was yearning for something more relevant. I grew up in a Baptist church. I loved that people were faithful and they were great, but we would sing a hymn and then we would stop and have some talking and then we would come stand up and sing another hymn. And I personally was longing for a a style that was something more familiar, um, more easy uh, to engage with, less interrupted. Um, And so when I came over, came across the vineyard, it it was a style of worship that I personally really connected with. You know, the truth is that the vineyard began with a small group of tired and broken people. These guys had been serving in their church and they were worn out and burned out probably. Um, It was them plus a bunch of new, newly saved hippies who were seeking after God. And And that group just began with simple songs and a guitar. And at the time that they started departing from the organ and stringing songs together for half an hour or so without any gaps, That was groundbreaking. It was groundbreaking within any church setting. And also at that time, it was generally thought that drums were of the devil. And um, I want to read you something from an article, um, an article that John Wimber wrote um, in the late 80s, 90s. um, And the article was called Intimacy with God. And um, it's quite a long extract, um, but it's, it's really helpful. And most of it is Carol Wimber's story of how it was that the worship got going in the worship life of the vineyard. So Wimber says this, many people who visit vineyard churches around the country remark on the depth 
and richness of our worship. This has not come about by chance. We have a well-thought-out philosophy that guides why and how we worship God. To understand this, it's helpful to learn about our fellowship's history, which goes back to 1977. At that time, my wife Carol was leading a small group of people in a home meeting that evolved into the Anaheim Vineyard. And then when Ms. says, I'll let her describe what happened. And Carol says this, we began worship with nothing but a sense of calling from the Lord to a deeper relationship with him. Before we started meeting in a small home church setting in 1977, the Holy Spirit had been working in my heart, creating a tremendous hunger for God. One day as I was praying, the word worship appeared in my mind like a newspaper headline. I'd never thought much about that word before. As an evangelical Christian, i had always assumed the entire Sunday morning gathering was worship. And in a sense, I was correct. But in a different sense, there were particular elements of the service that were especially devoted to worship and not to teaching, announcements, musical presentations and all the other activities that are part of a typical Sunday morning gathering. I had to admit, Carol says, that I wasn't sure which part of the service was supposed to be worship. After we started to meet in our home gathering, I noticed times during the meeting, usually when we sang, in which I experienced God deeply. We sang many songs, but mostly songs about worship or testimonies from one Christian to another. But occasionally we sang a song personally and intimately to Jesus with lyrics like, Jesus, I love you. And those types of songs both stirred and fed the hunger for God within me. I began asking our music leader why some songs didn't seem, see, some songs seemed to spark something in us and others didn't. As we talked about worship, we realised that often we'd sing about worship, yet we never actually worshipped, except when we accidentally stumbled into these intimate songs like, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And thus we began to see a difference between songs about Jesus and songs to Jesus. About that time, we realised our worship blessed God and that it was for God alone and not just a vehicle of preparation for the pastor's sermon. This was an exciting revelation. As learning about the central place of worship in our meetings, there were many instances in which all we did was worship God for an hour or two. And if you're part of Winchester Vineyard, um, when we get together once a month on a Sunday evening with Come Holy Spirit, that's a great opportunity for just extended time of worshipping God together and being in his presence. Carol continues, at that time, we also discovered that singing was not the only way to worship God because the word worship literally means to bow down. It's important that our bodies are involved in what our spirits are saying. And in, in the Bible, this is accomplished through bowing our heads and lifting our hands and kneeling and even lying prostrate before God. And the result of our worship and blessing God is being blessed by him. We don't worship God in order to get blessed, but we are blessed as we worship him. He visits his people with manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Thus, worship has a twofold aspect, communication with God through the basic means of singing and praying and communication from God through teaching and preaching the word, prophecy, exhortation, etc. We lift him up and exalt him and as a result are drawn into his presence where he speaks to us. And you can look at that article up online actually, uh, it's a John Wimber article and he goes on to describe um, some of the structure and how and the form and how um, it was that the, the, the worship style that actually we pretty much follow uh, to this day uh, came about. I love that article. 
I love what she says about songs, songs stirring and feeding the hunger within. And I love how she describes the way that they were singing about worship, but not actually worshipping until stumbling on songs to Jesus rather than about him. Um, she also, um, in a different part of the article, talks about how um, it was really important for them that they worshipped in the secret place, that they connected with God privately at home, away from the sort of Sunday gathering. And then they found that the more they did that, the more um, when they got together, they experienced God's presence even more. And you know, when we do gather for worship, our focus is all about God. But if Sunday mornings are the only time that we ever connect with God, then we are really, really missing out. But I do love the fact that the form or the philosophy of our worship was designed to facilitate times of real intimacy with Jesus. You know, we do not worship the worship. We're not worshipping the songs. We're not worshipping the leaders or the church. We're worshipping Jesus. This is about having a hunger for Jesus. We used to say um, around the vineyard, worship is our highest priority around here, which is understandable, but a better form of words is the presence of Jesus was, is, and always will be our highest priority. The original vineyard people were not trying to start a cool new form of worship. They were trying to pursue the presence of Jesus. And so what began as a renewal movement has grown into a church movement. And over the years, we've developed about five worship values, actually. And these are keywords that essentially have grown out of our story as a vineyard tribe. And we don't worship the values. We worship Jesus. But what the values are is... Um, it's how we have named and described what we see going on as we worship together, as we press into God's presence. And, you know, our form of worship and our songs will continue to evolve and adapt for every new generation. You know, I don't use the same songs now in worship that I did 20 years ago, 25 years ago. But the values have remained constant. And in fact, it's their constancy that gives us the flexibility that we need to adapt our worship forms and our tools for our next generation. Now, with all, like with all values, sometimes these values can come into conflict with one another. And that's where we need to be mature as we hold them in tension. And so I want to talk about these five values that are the vineyard values in worship, and they are intimacy, uh, accessibility, integrity, kingdom expectation, and passion. So the first of those values is intimacy. Have a look at these verses from Psalm 18. This is a psalm of David. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have been saved from my enemies. It's interesting here that in verse two, David is describing God. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. He's, he's declaring the truth about God. In verse three, David is describing his experience with God. I call to the Lord and I've been saved from my enemies. And all of those are worshipful things to do. But I do love that the very first verse of this psalm is just an expression of intimacy and love where David says, I love you, Lord, my strength. It feels important that that's where his worship starts. And um, it reminds me of the image of the temple. Now, this is the Jerusalem temple that you can see. But the temple actually is an idea, an image, which occurs right through the Bible from, from the Garden of Eden 
through the tabernacles in the desert, through the Jerusalem temples, the first one and then the second one that was rebuilt, through Jesus himself and the church. And the temple is a place where God's presence dwells, a place where God dwells with his people. And the story of the Bible is the story of God making himself present with his people. That's us. As we come into his presence and as we offer our worship, we discover again our purpose, which is to be with God and to worship him. Now, you can talk about presence in two different ways. There is the omnipresence of God, you know, which is the fact that he's, he's, he's around us all the time. You know, the Bible says, where can I go? Well, you're not already there. I think that's Psalm 139. Um, the Bible says all things are created and held together in Christ. So he is present all the time, but that's omnipresence. And then it also talks about the manifest presence of God. That's the time when we actively experience God's presence. And often our response to the manifest presence of God might look a bit dramatic. Sometimes we might shake or fall over or speak in tongues or cry, or it might just be stillness. But certainly when God seems to come, we seem to experience something of his presence. And our model for worship is broadly based on this idea of the temple, which starts with preparation and sacrifice. And it's a journey in through the outer courts and into the into deeper and deeper into the places of holiness and intimacy with God. Obviously, that's not physical. We tend to stand in the same place, um, but in our song choice and in our posture, our goal is always that deep, intimate place. Intimacy, or as somebody once said, into me see. The place of a deep connection with God, who's our loving Heavenly Father, and with Jesus, who's our friend and our brother, and with the Spirit, who's our guide and our comforter and our empower and our helper. And you know that, you know, that, that whole idea of the temple and God dwelling in the Holy of Holies was um, blown apart when Jesus died on the cross and the temple curtains ripped in two. We'll talk about that in a minute. But because of that, we are invited into this intimate place, which is something that the Old Testament uh, followers um, of God never, never, never did, actually. Um, only the priests could go, but now everyone can go. And Hebrews 10 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we've confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Draw near with a sincere heart and assurance of faith. We are invited to a place of intimacy. Our worship starts and finishes with intimacy. And that's our first value. The second value that I want to talk about is accessibility. And what I mean by that is that all of the participants are invited in. Now, there are different roles and responsibilities, but there is no us and them. When you come to church on a Sunday, there are certain people whose responsibility is to play music or to sing or to lead music or to lead worship. And not everybody gets to do that, but everybody's involved. And those people are no more special than anybody else. You know, back in the days of the Protestant Reformation, um, one of the radical things they did to try and make the worship more accessible was to rip down the screens in the church, big screens, which separated the people from the clergy. I talked about this last week. We believe in a priesthood of all believers where everyone gets to play. That doesn't mean that everyone gets to play the music in the band. That would be chaos. But it means that everybody gets to participate and worship is never 
and must never be a spectator sport. And so what we try and do is reduce anything that would get in the way of people being, enter, people being able to enter into worship. Now that includes thinking about our physical environment, just making it warm and welcoming with good coffee and good snacks. It, 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 it helps us think about our style and form of church and the instruments and the songs and the language that we use. When we value accessibility, we don't create the conditions for God to come, but we do try and make things as easy as possible for as many people as possible to engage with him. When we pray, come Holy Spirit, we're not trying to conjure up his presence, we're posturing our hearts towards him. So we pay attention to the physical layout and the lighting of our halls. We invest in the quality of our music and our sound production. We try and pitch songs where people can sing them with language that's natural rather than technical or religious or old. And we try and clearly signpost where we're going so that we lead people so that everybody gets a chance, so that people are offered every opportunity to enter into God's presence. We're trying to push all the hindrances aside and just come in together, which means thinking about language and song choice. You know, are we, how, how many songs have we got? Are they too wordy? How simple are they? How well known are they? It means thinking about spontaneity and leaving a bit of space to sing our own words or to sing Bible truths. It means explaining something about expectations, giving permission, freedom for people to, to, uh, to, to, to express themselves. It means avoiding distractions. You'll notice in our church, we don't have long musical sections. There are no big drum solos or guitar solos, much as some of us would like that. It means we play skillfully, but not too slick. Accessibility means everybody gets to join in. Everybody gets to enter in as much as possible. The third value is integrity. And what that means is we come as we are with all that we are. And we are thinking and feeling people. We are spiritual and physical. And integrity in worship means we bring our real and our whole selves, trying to be complete, trying to be authentic as we come before God. We don't hype the situation. We don't pretend to be anything we're not. We can expect transformation because, as we said last week, we come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. God loves us completely, but he loves us too much to leave us in the same way as we are. And so integrity encompasses the grim reality of who we are right now and the glorious reality into which we are being formed. You know, glory is a great word. The Bible talks about Moses coming down from the mountain with an, with having to have a veiled face because of the afterglow of God's glory, which was too much for people. They couldn't, he was too shiny. Paul says that in Jesus, we can all behold God's glory with unveiled faces. And as we do that, we are transformed bit by bit into the image of God. And so this beautiful transformation, it starts with us approaching God with unveiled faces, just as we are, with all of our brokenness, with all of our messed up minds and our frail bodies and our chaotic emotions and our weakened spirits. And it's trade, we trade all of that. For everything that God has for us. You know, Isaiah 61 is a really well-known passage. It starts talking about the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is anointing me to proclaim good news to the poor. But if you jump down to verse 3, it says that it's to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. We're members of a body 
with Christ at the head and we can know true wholeness as part of the body. We bring our individual selves to God and also as a church we submit our communal selves to him, one body. And as well as transforming our individual brokenness, God takes our dysfunctional relationships and he heals them. So that as a body, we can give glory to God through true worship and we can enact justice and mercy to each other and the world around us. And so we come as we are, complete as mind and body and spirits, emotions and relationships. And we leave with an even greater greater vision of how much more we are being made for the glory of God. Now, the next value is kingdom expectation. And we talked about this last week, the already and the not yet, about how in the Lord's Prayer, there are two truths established about the kingdom of heaven. One is that God's kingdom is established in heaven, but not always on earth. And the second truth is that God's kingdom can be a reality on earth, but we must ask for it when we pray your kingdom come. And the whole of the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father, who art in heaven, the next line is, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name, or honoured be your name. And so the kingdom of God is a primary element of our worship, and it starts with us honouring Jesus, honouring the Father, honouring the Spirit. Jesus establishes the will of God by healing and deliverance and by proclaiming the Lord's favour. Revelation gives us a beautiful image of the future of God's creation. There'll be joy and peace and no sickness and no death. But the truth is, as I said last week, the present day reality is that we live in the clash of kingdoms and there is an inherent tension in there. 1 Samuel 17, David, this is David, this is just at the end of the story of David and Goliath. And David says, all those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, The battle is the Lord's. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world. We should be suspicious of any worship that doesn't in some way reflect that reality and seek to bring about that change. On Sunday when I gave this talk, we sang this song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. We fight on our knees, we fight through prayer. And and it's really important that we acknowledge that because if we were just saying everything's fine and God's great, we'd be doing it through four smiles and that wouldn't be authentic, would it? Worship has to reflect the reality of what we live in, but not go so far down that route that we don't remember that worship is primarily for God. It's not about what we get, it's about what we give. And so as we bow before him, we wait on him, we silence our voice, we listen for his. We seek first God's kingdom. And when his kingdom comes and as his kingdom comes, we welcome it with thanks and praise. And in the strength that comes from Jesus, we reject anything that he has already conquered. You know, death and sickness and fear and loneliness and slavery. It's not that we deny their existence, they're very real but we refuse to be slaves to them. As that song isn't there, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. And so when God comes, he comes as a consuming fire to destroy all that stuff and to give to destroy what must die and to give birth to what must live. And so very much part of our worship is to cry, your kingdom come. And then our last um, value that we talk about is passion. You know, the things that we're prepared to do for what we're passionate about greatly exceed the things that we're prepared to do for anything else. 
I should be most passionate about the things that I'm made for, which is to worship God. And yet I don't always feel that, often because of life circumstances. But I don't just have to fake it, because passion is much deeper than just an emotion that we might feel sometimes when it comes and goes. Passion, or pass, comes from the word passio. Passio means suffering, endurance, perseverance. It doesn't mean excitement or jubilation. It means it means sticking with it. Jesus was not passionate about the cross, but he was passionate about what lay before it and beyond it. So he endured the cross. And we are encouraged to follow his example and run with perseverance, keeping our eyes fixed on him. You'll know this verse maybe from Hebrews. Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders and run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Passion in our worship is doing what we're made to do, however hard it might be. Passion is not an emotion, but it is often emotional, can be emotional, either overflowing with tears or overflowing with joy. Passion, passionate worship can be costly and it can be messy, a bit like the jar of perfume broken and poured onto Jesus' feet. And a friend of mine, Jesse, who wrote some of these notes said, rather than hold onto our emotion in a sort of stiff upper lip style, let's let the fire loose to set the world aflame. That's what's going on when we worship God. And so all of these values are important. Intimacy, accessibility, integrity, kingdom expectation and passion. And they just define some of what's really important to us and, and how we plan and how we lead our worship within Winchester Vineyard. I guess I, guess I just want to say this to finish. In a, we're in an era where there are many expressions of worship. And to be honest, they're quite homogenized. Some of them are very samey. And in that context, it's our values that help us stay focused on what it is we're really trying to do, which is pursue the presence of Jesus. This is not about production and experiences. It's about heart level leading into God's presence. So great if our musicians are are skilled and are high quality, but even better if they are um, humbly leading us into God's presence. And sometimes that's all we need. It's really not about hype, as I might have said already, but it's about reality and encouragement, recognising where we are, coming as we are, but not staying as we are, lifting our eyes to God, being encouraged in him and crying, come Holy Spirit. We want to connect with Jesus on a heart level. And so I want to encourage you, if, if, this is, if, if this message is hard for you to hear, if perhaps some of these worship, these worship values jar with you or, or there's something painful in your past, then I would encourage you to bring that to Jesus. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are, um, watching this at home or whatever, just to take a few moments just to pursue the presence of Jesus in your own heart, in your own place. Now, that might be through music you could put some worship music on and, and just join in with that or it might be through in the bible or some, something else and when you come to church i want to encourage you to participate and join in fully with everything you've got to make the decision to come and join together with god's people as we 
not worship the worship, but we worship Jesus. And we allow our corporate times together to be places where we come into his temple, where we come into his presence, where we come into the Holy of Holies, if you like, and where we really meet with and encounter him. Next time you come to church, I challenge you, come prepared for that. Come ready to, to, to do that journey. Why don't I pray for us? Father, I'm just so grateful for the freedom that we have to worship you. I'm grateful that we have this heritage within the vineyard of just trying to pursue the presence of Jesus. And I just want to pray for each of us that we can meet with you today, right now in this place that we know you. And in those times where we come to you, that we are continually changed, that we continue to be transformed, that we become more like you, that we encounter your presence deeply. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. Amen.